0: Jimmy, did you have help back there? Jimmy, did you have help back there? That's what I figured. Jimmy and Holton spend hours and hours back there doing that job in the index that they do every year about this time prior to our meeting. Just putting all the chairs and tables back in the proper place is... A huge job in itself, but it looks like a new floor and we are indebted to them for that good work. Well, Jim Estabrook's going to preach tonight. Look forward to his lesson. This is our 10th lesson in this series on questions from God. Jehoshaphat, Judah's fourth king, ruled for 25 years. He continued his father's earlier efforts to purge Judah of idolatry. He commissioned priests and Levites to teach the word of God in all the cities of Judah, judges to administer justice in every city, and all in consistency with the laws and commandments of God. He had a special court in Jerusalem to render final decisions, as the text says, in the fear of the Lord, faithfully and with a perfect heart. 2 Chronicles 19, 9. Imperfect as are all men, Jehoshaphat erred greatly when he joined affinity with Ahab. 2 Chronicles 18, 1. His alliance with Ahab was sealed by the marriage of Jehoram his son to Athaliah, the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. This alliance enabled Ahab to entice Jehoshaphat to join him in battle against Syria. Desiring to inquire of the Lord regarding this venture and not being satisfied with the 400 prophets that Ahab produced, he said, Is there not here a prophet of the Lord besides that we might inquire of him? A commendable sentiment. 1 Kings 22, 7. Ahab's response to Jehoshaphat's question is proof that he had ceased to walk humbly before God and was back to waging war against God. He expressed his hatred for Micaiah, a faithful prophet of God, but allowed him to speak in an effort to appease Jehoshaphat. When Micaiah foretold Ahab's death in the ensuing battle, instead of returning home, Jehoshaphat joined Ahab in the conflict and would have lost his life in the battle had not God intervened to save him. When he returned to Jerusalem, God met him through Jehu the prophet and inquired of him with a penetrating question. Our question for study today. Shouldest thou help the ungodly and love them that hate the Lord 2 Chronicles 19, 2. It is not sufficient for a man to be righteous in his own personal life. One's personal righteousness must extend to include all of life's relationship and must be manifested in harmony with the truth. The psalmist affirm, My tongue shall speak of thy word, for all thy commandments are righteousness. Psalm 119, 170. Personal righteousness is determined by its compliance with the precepts and commandments of God. God's commandments and righteousness adhere to them, generates righteousness. So when a man listens to the righteous commandments of God and he lives in harmony with them, then he generates righteousness in his own life. Was Ahab a righteous man whose life honored the statutes and laws of God? Was God in fellowship with Ahab Jehu the prophet said that Ahab was ungodly and hated the Lord. Jehoshaphat joined forces with a man who hated the God that he loved and was informed, therefore wrath is from the Lord upon thee. 2 Chronicles 19.2. Paul said, Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Ephesians 5.11. And the church is commanded to withdraw from every brother that walketh disorderly. 2 Thessalonians 3.6. Jehoshaphat should never have gone down there to start with. And when he heard what Micaiah the prophet said about the ensuing battle, he should have said, Ahab, I'm going home. It's obvious you're not going to survive. Your death had been foretold. I'm not having anything to do with this. I should never have come down here to start with. I'm going back home where I belong. But he didn't do that. The psalmist declared, through thy precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Psalm 119, 104. Generally, that was Jehoshaphat's sentiment of life. He failed on this occasion and almost cost him his life. He should have said, Ahab, your way is false. And I agree with the psalmist, I hate every false way. If you don't change your life, you're gonna lose both your life and your soul. That's what Ahab needed to hear in addition to what Micaiah had already said. But he didn't want what he needed to hear, he want what he Wanted to hear the Bible is God's mind addressing man's mind with words so that man can understand the thinking of God. God does not think like man thinks and his thoughts are not on the same level as man's. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 man just as well attempt to measure the length of eternity as to compute the distance between the thinking of God and the thinking of man. When a man rejects the Bible, he has discarded the only means of spiritual education. He has doomed his mind to wander aimlessly through life, wholly void of spiritual truths, insights, and perceptions that he needs the most. His thinking about things that matter is silly, superficial, and empty of value. He may speak with authority on many things, but his abundant knowledge is limited to the trivial pursuits of life. Only the Bible can enlighten the mind. Man may deplete sea, land, and space, humans, animals, and fowls of all knowledge, but without the Bible, his vast learning is devoid of spiritual profit. He may traverse the universe on the wings of a thousand Methuselahs and discern all of its mysteries, but apart from the Bible, his journey will be an immeasurable act of futility. All of the mental pearls of life are valueless without the one pearl of great price. Matthew thirteen, forty six. In describing Gentiles who had lost all moral sensitivity, Paul utilizes four words to depict their mental state vanity, darkened, ignorant, and blind or hardened. Ephesians four, seventeen and nineteen. Their minds were barren of the thoughts of God. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is, Ephesians five seventeen. The Bible speaks to the mind and understanding of man with the thinking of God. Psalms 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible, and it is persistent in pressing this truth. The psalmist petitioned God for understanding, verse 34. That would enable him to keep the laws of God. He professed to having more understanding than his teachers or aged men because he had been instructed by the testimonies and the precepts of God instead of the thoughts of man. Verses 99 and 100, he besought God to instruct his mind with his statutes, verse 33, he credited the thinking of God set forth in the words of God with granting him light and understanding, what we all need. Verse 130, he prayed, O Lord, give me understanding according to thy word. Verse 169, only a man that has been tutored by the thinking of God can have such understanding of spiritual truths that will enable him to say with the psalmist, I hate every false way. Verse 104, the thoughts of God are exclusive. They do not waver. They are immutable. They have never been less than they are. There is no room left in the mind of God for more to be added. There is no room for more because the thoughts of God are complete. They fill eternity. There is no need for change because they are perfect. They embrace all that is. Everything that man thinks, believes, teaches, and practices must be measured by the thinking of God. All human behavior must be assessed according to the thoughts and judgments of God. Anything connected with humanity that is, not, that is inconsistent with the thinking of God is wrong. God's thoughts are authoritative. They leave man with no room to act on his own. Only God has the right to command, require obedience to it, and judge those who refuse to obey it. Any action not based on the authority of God is an act of rebellion against the mind and thinking of God. As long as man clings to Naaman's initial response to God's prophet, behold, I thought, 2 Kings, 2 Kings 5, 11, he will never submit to the thoughts of God. The thoughts of God point to the truth, the one and only way. The power of God's thoughts procured a perfect world from Adam, for Adam and Eve. They substituted their thoughts for God's, ruined the flawless world of Genesis 1 and 2, and opened the door to ceaseless pain, sorrow, and despair. God's thinking provided one way for Cain and Abel to approach him in worship. Faith respects the thinking of God and acts in harmony with it. That is what Abel did, and that is why God accepted, accepted both Abel and his offering. Hebrews eleven four. 4. Cain refused to submit to God's thinking and authority, and God rejected him in his worship. Genesis 4, 7, Cain was a self-willed man who supplanted God's thoughts with his own. Every subsequent accountable being to live on earth is either a Cainite or Abelite in heart and disposition. Cain's descendants adopted his temperament, corrupted the righteous descendants of Seth, and plunged the world into spiritual darkness and despair. God's exclusive thinking furnished one pattern for the ark. If Noah had deviated one iota from God's pattern, he would have been manifesting the spirit of Cain, being in rebellion to the thoughts and authority of God, and have, would have been brought into judgment by God. Refusing to walk by faith in subjection to the thinking of God, Noah's descendants through his three sons endeavored to construct a tower to their own glorification. God divided their languages and scattered them throughout the earth. By faith, Abraham left Haran and commenced his journey toward Canaan. Now think about this truth. The first 12 chapters of Genesis forms the foundation for the remainder of the Bible. The first four words of Genesis 1 introduces God, the greatest being in all that is. Every attribute of God's nature is set forth and illustrated in these inaugural chapters in contrast to the nature of man in these same chapters. The balance of the Bible is a narration of these two themes as God moves through the spiritual remnant of Abraham's seed to provide redemption from sin in Christ and Calvary. And thus what is the rest of the Bible? It is a tragic portrayal of the preponderance of humanity refusing to be guided by the thinking and authority of God. That's what it is. Only a very small righteous remnant are depicted as walking by faith in love and gratitude for the thoughts and the authority of God. This lamentable truth is pictured in the broad and narrow way of Matthew 713 and 14. Even among those who strive to think right about God, the thinking of God, and the authority of God, there are some who struggle to attain the spiritual level of being able to join the psalmist and declare, I hate every false way. Psalms 119, 104. Following 4,000 years of work, the exclusive thinking of God brought to fruition the exclusive church that Jesus said, I will build, Matthew 16, 18. It is the product of the gospel preached and obeyed. Some 3,000 heard the first consummated gospel sermon in the name of the resurrected Christ on Pentecost of Acts 2. Pricked in their hearts over their role in the crucifixion of Christ, they inquired of Peter and his fellow apostles as to what they should do to be saved. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Acts 2.38, and the Lord added them to the church. Acts 2.47, the exclusive eternal thoughts of God set forth in the exclusive gospel of Christ resulted in the exclusive church of Christ that Jesus promised to build. How hard is that to understand? From its inception, the masses of the earth have never accepted New Testament Christianity with its one gospel, one church, one plan of salvation, one pattern of worship, and other essential components. Only a very small spiritual remnant obeyed the gospel on Pentecost of Acts 2, and the world has been at war with God and His church ever since. Paul was amazed at the rapidity with which many in Galatia had allowed themselves to be robbed of their convictions by a perverted gospel. Galatians 1, 1 to 7. For 2,000 years, a perverted gospel has ruled the religious world. Catholicism with its pope, priest, bishops, cardinals, catechism, and false teaching on almost every Bible subject has blinded its adherence to the pure gospel of Christ and the church it produces. What a tragedy. There was a young man who visited a Catholic mass. At the conclusion of the service, he was immediately approached by the falsely designated father who said, I can tell you are not Catholic. How so? The young man asked. He replied, because you have your Bible with you. The teaching of Catholicism proves that it loves the Pope, but hates the Bible. Compelled by the spirit of liberalism, denominationalism being a monumental evil is a potent tool of Satan designed to deceive man and deprive him of salvation and of a home in heaven. For centuries it has waged war with the thinking and the authority of God embodied in the Word of God. It has corrupted every essential element of the exclusive gospel of Christ and the church that Jesus said, I will build and did build. It is superficial in this faith-only mammoth perversion of the gospel. It reduces the, and renders needless the bulk of the Bible, robs man of the blessings of a life of obedient faith, sits in judgment on the thinking of God, Nullifies the completing condition of gospel obedience in baptism that enables man to reach the blood of Christ, divests the pulpit of its power, revokes the blessings of acceptable worship, and bars the gates of heaven. The church of liberalism has dismantled the wall that the thinking of God has erected between the church of his son and the humanly devised churches of denominationalism. Its members have opened the door of fellowship to any and all who confess the deity of Christ. That's what's happening in the church of liberalism that over half the church that Jesus said, I will build, has built themselves and is now at war With the exclusive church that belongs to Christ. They have adopted many of the errors of denominationalism because they no longer view them as fallacious. They invite their preachers to fill their pulpits and participate in joint worship services in a spirit of religious camaraderie. They herald the philosophy of unity in diversity. Those who have joined the church of liberalism loathe the spirit of exclusiveness and distinctiveness. They love to blend in with the environment around them and be one of many instead of one of a few. They love preaching that soothes instead of pricks. That provides rest for the mind, zest for the emotions, and comfort for the conscience. It views the church it left, the one that Jesus said, I will build and did build, as antiquated, legalistic, and blind to the true meaning of grace. It aids, abets, and rejoices with the enemies of God and the truth can one love god while spurning the thinking of god which is the truth of god set forth in the word of god how pertinent is the question that god asked of jehoshaphat and how tragic is its answer shouldest thou help the ungodly and love them that hate the Lord. Therefore is wrath upon thee from the Lord. Second Chronicles 19.2 Can a man love God, adore, and express gratitude for the thinking and the thoughts of God? set forth in the Word of God, which is the Bible. Can a man love God without loving the Word of God? What is wrong with a man, a group of men, the church of liberalism, Catholicism, denominationalism, that can read as plain as we can, as plain as the sun at high noon, the simple, easy to understand fundamentals of the faith, and then declare war on them with their proverbial, unending, ceaseless buts and then say, behold, I think. Does a man like that really love God? Jehoshaphat's question directed to him from God is pertinent to our day. We cannot love God while waging war against the commandments, statutes, and testimonies of God. And we have no right to open the church that Jesus said, I will build to fellowship with those who are at war with God. Shouldest thou help the ungodly and love them? that hate the Lord. In spite of all of a man's claims, if he does not love the Word of God and strive to live in harmony with it, he does not love God. Jesus said, a man is either with me or against me. And when we declare war against the simple truths of God said, coming from the mind of God set forth in the Word of God, We do not love God. The truth is, we hate God because we hate the Word that has come from God. You're present. Never obeyed the gospel. We encourage you by faith to repent of your sins, confess Christ, be baptized into Christ because one of the commandments that the world hates is, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And they perverted that simple command that allows man to contact the blood of Christ through this completing act of gospel obedience in this simple command to be baptized for the remission of sin. You've not obey the gospel or you need the prayers of the church in any way. We hope you'll come now while we stand and sing. Why
1: keep Jesus waiting? gently, gently to his foe. See him, soul, and open, I implore. Why keep Jesus waiting He knocks softly, softly o'er and o'er. Hear him, soul, and open. I implore. Why keep Jesus waiting, knocking?